Sifter for the ear. News, interviews, reviews, cinema, TV, streaming. Action. Hi, y'all. This is Jerry Williams, a.k.a. TV Jerry. My podcast with the director of The Levies of Monticello documents the Jewish family that owned and renovated Jefferson's Charlottesville home for 90 years. The director just let me know that if you didn't see it at the Jewish Film Festival, it's now available streaming. And I'll include a link to the options on the original webpage for his interview, as well as the page for this show. I'll also include a link to my show with Cheryl Miller from CBS 6 about the annual Christmas parade, which takes place this Saturday, December 2nd. Wonder Woman 1984 was being filmed in D.C. And it was the scene in that movie where there's the big chase going on. So every Crown Victoria on the East Coast was in D.C. And there weren't any to make this TV show. Well, we had one. Find out what happened in today's interview with Brian Rhodes, who owns antique and classic automobiles in Stanton. He rents old cars for movies and TV shows and has stories about that and other interesting information about what makes an antique car. Sifter Review of the Week. Faraway Downs on Hulu. Boz Lerman directed the feature film Australia in 2008, and it wasn't met with great reviews. He's reworked that movie into a longer six-part series with episodes ranging from 24 to 49 minutes, and it's much improved. Nicole Kidman plays a proper British lady who travels to her husband's ranch in Australia, only to find him dead. In rides Hugh Jackman, who plays a drover to help her drive her cattle and save her land. This has all the elements of a classic big-screen epic, excitement and peril, gorgeous landscapes, inevitable romance, villainous conflict, and political controversy. Lerman has staged it in the style of period widescreen technicolor adventures with dramatic lighting, bold colors, and theatrical angles. Kidman proves a comic delight in the early scenes, and Jackman plays the typical rough guy with aplomb. While I didn't love the original, this version truly is new and improved. It's an ambitious series with all the right elements to create a grand and thrilling romantic adventure. I gave Faraway Downs four out of five stars. So, Brian Rhodes, what was your first car? My first car was a 1972 Chevrolet C10 pickup truck. Oh, okay. My grandfather bought it brand new in 1972, and I learned to drive on it when I was 12. Oh, wow. I like to say I've driven it every day of my life since I was 16, but the real truth is I was off in the Navy and whatever like that, but I still drive it every day. Wow. Uh, so it, it's one of those where I... I can't get away with any uh, buffoonery in town because everybody knows that truck. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, it kind of stands out. Now, I know, obviously, the business that you own now is called Antique and Classic Automobiles. It was originally Bruce Elders. How did you get involved in that? You led into this great, Jerry. You probably didn't even know this. but okay. Of course uh, I did. <laughs> <laughs> One Sunday morning when I was... 14 or 15 years old my mom and i were coming back from church we were coming through town right and sitting out front of his shop was a red 67 gto uh-oh and i spotted it from sure. two blocks away <laughs> <laughs> mom swung in and we talked to bruce for a moment 
And Bruce said, well, why don't you get his dad to bring him back down here and we'll look at it. So dad and I went back down a little while later. Now, my dad was, even in those days, was a curmudgeon's curmudgeon. Uh, He immediately told Bruce, you know, I'm not going to buy it. Right, Uh, right. And Bruce said, that's okay. And I looked at Bruce and I said, I want to work for you. So when I turned 16, I showed back up that very next day. I turned 16 on a Friday. And on Saturday morning, I was standing on Bruce's doorstep when he opened the door. What we did from that point on was, is I worked for Bruce on Saturdays in the summers and in the fall kind of thing. That very first weekend, I got my nickname, which was the fine young lad, (laughs) which you will hear folks to this day refer to me as the lad. Bruce oh, but you're not fine and young anymore. I'm definitely not young. I don't know. My, <laughs> uh, the, the fine part was always questionable. And so when my wife and I returned to Stanton, she retired from the Navy and I transitioned to the reserves. I came back to be, uh, that was almost 10 years ago, I came back to be Bruce's full-time assistant. And uh, when he passed, I took over the dealership. I operated it right there where his building Uh, in his building for the last uh, two years until about a month ago, I just moved into my own building. Surprise guest drop-in. Tom Cox. Uh, Mr. Cox, how are you? Well, lad, how are you this morning? Listen there, he called you lad, didn't he? There you go. (laughs) I just told Jerry the story of how I got the name of the lad. The lad. Footnote. Tom Cox is a two-time national president of the Antique Automobile Club of America and president and co-host of The Appraisers TV show. So, Tom, tell me about your first impression the first time you met the lad. You know, it was probably, I'm going to say, gosh, 20 years ago, maybe. And uh, Bruce was working with a movie car wrangler uh, named Gary out of uh, Georgia. They were getting ready to uh, film uh, the movie Hearts in Atlantis. Footnote. Hearts in Atlantis was shot in Virginia in 2000, and it stars Hope Davis and Anthony Hopkins. The uh, director had determined that they needed a hero car for Hope Davis, the heroine, to drive. And it had to be a 59 or 60 Rambler, and it could not be black or white. And it just so happened that a good friend of mine, her grandfather had owned a Nash dealership in Harrisonburg, just to the north of Stanton. And it had just been painted. It was in blue and it was um, not quite finished. It still had upholstery work to be done and it still had chrome work to be done on the bumpers. We got the upholstery done. We got the chrome work done. And then we had it shipped up there to Stanton to uh, Bruce's place. And that's where the lad came in. And we uh, started working on detailing everything, getting it ready and uh, getting it running. So uh, we got it there. It's all last minute. We're working until 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, trying to get everything to go. And it won't run. Finally, I threw in the towel about 1.30 and said, look, I'm going to drive all the way back to Roanoke, and which was about two hours away. Pull a carburetor. I had a new one on the shelf. Uh, new old stock, and got back to Stanton at about 6 a.m. and uh, put it on there, and we had the car running 
well at 655 and they picked it up at 7 a.m so wow. i mean all of us worked all through the night to get that car out there and get it done well well what do you remember about that brian uh, so at the time i was still at virginia tech he called me and he's like i need you to come up here and help me we got to put a car together can you come up and i said i'll be there I remember fighting with putting a roof rack on the thing. And when you see the movie, at the very end, they drive away with a bicycle attached to that car. And it's the bike that's the whole point of the movie uh, that he sees through the window. I remember being there until late in the night. Uh, I wasn't there for the completion the next morning. That was an interesting uh, uh, night. That was my first real taste of the movie car world uh -huh. uh, with Bruce. The lad carries on, and uh, we appreciate that. Great. Thank hey. you very much, Tom. Good to see you, Tom. Come up and visit, my friend. We'll be there. Take uh, care of yourself okay. now. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Now, you said classic cars. I know I've seen cars driving around town with that black license plate that says classic how old does a car have to be and what's involved in actually owning one of those license plates? Uh, in the state of Virginia, which you and I speak to, right. uh, it's 25 years old. When you place antique plates on a car, uh, if you can find a, a 1972 and prior, you're allowed to put the year of your car. So in my truck's case, I can put a 72 tag on it. And if you're post 72, 73 or later, uh, you can use either the orange and blue antique plate and then the, the black and white one that's just the standard square one that says Virginia Antique. That is a replication. That's the porcelain tags that were issued by Virginia beginning. I think Virginia started in 1906. Wow, wow. And there's a form you go to the DMV and fill out and it has all of the, the list of restrictions. Uh, uh, the short right, version right. of that is it's to and from car shows, your mechanic uh, within 200 miles of your home, occasional pleasure use. The thing of it is, is that you can't register a car as an antique unless you have another car registered as a regular car oh wow because it's not intended to be daily driven as an antique uh -huh. and it's uh, funny you mentioned 25 years and you said earlier the 90s i like, yeah well 90s are antique cars now that's pretty crazy isn't it? right now that's right it's 25 years old that's the rule right that means your 1997 toyota camry is, is eligible for antique plates right if you are willing to restrict your camry to those restrictions we were talking about then wow. yeah, cool. that's cool. that's the way the law works now of course this podcast is about movies and tv so i want to pivot over to the movies and the yeah. work you've done on that first of all what's involved in renting cars for movies that people may not be aware of obviously somebody says like the story we heard if they need a nash rambler you got to find that car but what are some of the things behind the scenes that go on that are surprises or maybe something that surprised you when you found out well like in the hearts of atlantis i remember the prep up to that movie Bruce worked closely with Gary and another car wrangler who lives down in Richmond. There was a, a four-door car that he had in the showroom, and it was yellow when it was in our showroom. And they wanted that car black. And Bruce said, the only way we can do that is if the production company buys the car and they can paint it black. And that is exactly what they did. I tell you that story because... We fast forward 20 some years to a movie that Bruce and I did a couple of years ago. Footnote The Man Standing Next is a Korean political thriller that's currently streaming on Hulu. 
They wanted a, a mid-70s Granada or Monarch, which those are the same car. We happened to know a guy with one and were able to connect them, and they wanted to paint that car. Bruce, you know, said impossible. And in this case, the car was never going to be available. Uh, he was never going to part with it and never going to paint it. And they had one that was a stage car in another part of the world where they were filming. And ultimately, what they chose to do was to take the stage car that the production company owned and turn it into the car that we loaned them. So what do you mean by stage car? The cars that are in the movies are kind of divided into three sections, right? Background cars that guys like you and I own and the production company pays us. Cars that are going to be semi-star cars like Tom was talking about with the Rambler, where it doesn't make financial sense for the production company to own it. Uh, it makes more sense for them to just pay a little bit more like we did with the Rambler to get what they needed. And then there are the cars that are significantly used on film uh, that are often referred to as star cars and many times there's multiple versions of them for different purposes and most of the time the production company owns that car and that's because they have purpose built it for you know that particular scene that it's going to be in they have to rig things around it or on it Right, like the tra the Trans Am and Smoking the Bandit, they know they were going to destroy it, right. and so you and I aren't going to load them a car that that they can destroy. Right. So they have bought it, they've built it, and the most famous iterations of those were always, you know, the one that anybody knows is the Dukes of Hazard. As I recall, there were two star cars. John Schneider owned one of them for many, many years, sold it a few years ago. Huh. In the 70s and the early 80s, there were guys who traveled the United States and bought 68, 69, and 70 Dodge Chargers. Just for that show. Just for that show. And what they would do is they'd pull them on the lot of Warner Brothers. They would paint them orange. They had a sticker for the flag on the top. They had a sticker for the zero one on the side. They'd move the battery to the trunk. They often would, they'd gut them, stick a roll bar in it and then jump it and then take it to the back lot and use it for parts. Now you said a stage car. I'm assuming that means maybe it's one of the ones that's on a sound stage that they yeah. process work on. And they can do process work with it. They may drive it, but you know, uh, those scenes where you see them sitting in front of the green screen, you know, right, right, right. <laughs> down the road. So I got some other cool stories about some of the other movie experiences you've had with cars. I guess the uh, the only other crazy one I have is there's a TV show for Investigation Discovery. Footnote. Investigation Discovery is a pay network dedicated to true crime documentaries. It's that typical, they're telling the story, so then they reenact it when it right. happened kind of thing. Sure. We had a 87 or 88 Crown Victoria police car. Very, very common. There are lots of them out there. Sure, yeah. The problem was they were filming it at the time Wonder Woman 1984 was being filmed uh, in D.C. In D.C., right. And it was the scene in that movie where there's the big chase going on. So every Crown Victoria on the East Coast was in D.C. and there weren't any to make this tv show well we had one didn't run it was icky and bruce and i dug this thing down off the third floor cleaned it up we even made it run 
and I took it to a day of filming in Richmond. And in the process of doing all this, another company called and they wanted a truck from the 20s for a TV show they were filming in over next to Charlottesville. And so in a like 36 hour period, I did two TV shows with two different vehicles that came from us. Everybody was happy. It was a lot of fun. I ate well. That's the thing is when you're the, when it's yours and you bring it over there, they do feed you pretty good. Right, right. You know, it, it was funny because therefore in an 18 month period, we did a whole lot of Hollywood. And since then, I've only had two calls. And in both cases, I didn't have the, oh, the car right, that they needed. Right. It always kills me. And I just saw a movie last week where they did it. People are out wandering. They did it in The Last of Us, a bunch of movies where they're wandering the woods and they find this old car in a garage. They pull the, you know, the tarp off of it. They get it and drive it away. Of course, it's been sitting there for 10 years. You're like, okay, really? Come on. Really? Yeah. People have always looked for a mistake on films, right? There's right, always sure. been those people doing that. But if they want a movie to be credible, you better stick with what you can make credible so, so there's some suspension of disbelief yeah. right that that has to go on with the pulling of the tarp in some cases kind of things uh the fast and the furious you know they're flying cars and everything space sure. cars now or whatever yeah, right? Yeah. All right we gotta spend suspend disbelief for that one but at the same time you know you have a movie that is a period historical piece and if it's set in 1957 and there's a 1959 car in there oh yeah there's arguments to be made that takes away from the credibility of the movie. Well, you know, and it's interesting too. I heard somebody say years ago about cars in the background that, you know, just because the movie is set in 1959, all the cars aren't, don't have to be from 1959, obviously, because they wouldn't all be from the same year. So they can be from 1952 or whatever. If you film a movie that is set in 1978, well, it's easy to find Camaros and Mustangs and Corvettes. Right. But, in 1978, not everybody drove a Corvette and a Mustang. So when you need the background of the neighborhood, you need the, the big old rusty boat from 1970. And, right. and you need that 59 car that the little old ladies down the neighbors driving and the right, pickup right. trucks. So that's what really lends authenticity to these movies is the background cars. Yeah. Are you still a pilot? I know you had a pilot's license. Of course, you were in the Navy. Are, do you still have a qualified pilot's license? I do not fly anymore. I aged okay. out of that. I'm still a drilling reservist. And mm -hmm. so I fly a desk like a champion now. Yeah. <laughs> so when you're watching a movie, especially a period movie, are you busy looking at the cars the whole time? Or can you Absolutely. actually relax in it? I figured Absolutely. Much. Yeah. Bruce worked hard. So he deserved that point in his life to, to go upstairs earlier in the evening if he wanted to. And he, he got into a tradition of going up so that he could watch. Uh, he watched a little Hawaii Five-0, but he loved to watch Adam-12. Right. Just to watch the cars, the old cars, right? Yeah, right. yeah. and I'd come up with it, especially in the winter. I'd come up and sit out with him, watch part of an episode of Adam 12 with him. You know, we would always play the game that's this, that's that. That's, ah, yeah, you know. I'm sure, I'm sure. Before I ask you my last question, is there anything that you think listeners might find interesting about car rentals for movies or TV shows that you haven't had a chance to mention? I think uh, I think I gave you my whole spiel, especially that important part about make sure you get the insurance if you right. are the, the person loaning the car. Yeah, yeah. And a good so, car wrangler knows that. 
moving beyond Adam 12, when you have a time to just sit around and not deal with the cars, what do you like to watch? The old saying that Bruce and I used to laugh about, what do car guys do when they go on vacation? They go look at cars. Of course. Right. right. So uh, I'm a news junkie. So my evening when I get home is five days a week. Dinner is at the table I'm sitting at right now. All of us, wife and two kids sitting around it. It's very much TV off when we do dinner. And then after dinner, the girls can do their thing. And and I'm a news junkie and I get about two hours of news in. And oftentimes, uh, right now, with buying a building and restoring a building, after my youngest goes to bed and I kiss her goodnight about, you know, 8, 15, 8, 30, I'll go back to work for a couple hours. That's just how it goes. It's good and bad that you go back to work late at night. But one of these days, you'll get to Bruce's level where you'll be able to just check off earlier in the day and uh, not worry about it like that. Someday I'll get myself a lad. There you go. Get yourself a lad. That's great. All right. Well, I want to thank you again. It's my right. pleasure. Please come visit. I'd love to have you and walk you around my showroom. In my Tesla. Hey, as the historian in this racket, I'll tell you, I hear people talk about love or hate on electric cars, right? I often remind people there was a period of time in this country where there weren't automobiles. And yeah. in that time period, there weren't gas stations and service stations and right. tire repair and right. engine repair. And yet, you know, there were and there were people in those days who said, you're never going to replace the horse. Right. It took time. And that's sure. what will happen with the electric. It right? is, right. You're not going to replace. There's still people with horses. There's still people yeah. who enjoy the pleasure of horses. There's right, still people right, who right. use horses for work and show and fun. Right, right. But necessity is the mother of invention. And there will be charging stations. Right, right. Yeah. It's the way of the future. It is. I love it. Well, Brian, thanks again. And uh, good luck with your next, uh, good luck with all your cars. Thank you very much, Jerry. This has been great. I look forward to uh, having you pop in uh, to see me up here. And maybe we'll we'll find another good podcast to chat, chat about sometime. Good deal. Thank you all so right. much. Take care. That was Brian Rhodes, who owns antique and classic automobiles in Stanton. He rents old cars for movies and TV shows. And there's a link to his website on the webpage for the show at tvjerry.com. Coming soon. In theaters. Dream Scenario, yet another Nick Cage film where he plays a family man who starts showing up in other people's dreams. Silent Night, from action director John Woo and the producers of John Wick, comes this holiday-based film starring Joe Kinnaman as a father who revenges a gang attack on his family. Teddy's Christmas, another holiday movie, revolves around a girl who wants a teddy bear and discovers a fantasy. The Shift, after meeting a mysterious stranger, a man must escape a dystopian world to return to his wife. Godzilla Minus One, yet another Japanese import featuring the classic monster. Holiday Twist, a woman copes with being a mother, having a career, and Christmas. TV and streaming. Candy Cane Lane on Prime. Eddie Murphy makes a pact with an elf, Julian Bell, to help him win the neighborhood Christmas decorating contest. Family Switch on Netflix. There have been body switch comedies before, but this one involves the entire family, starring Jennifer Garner and Ed Helms. American Symphony on Netflix, a year in the life of musician John Batiste. The Artful Dodger on Hulu. This series follows the life of the adult version of the famous Dickens character from Oliver as he tries to stick to his career as a surgeon. 
pentatonics around the world for the holidays on Disney. This popular acapella group finds themselves in a magic mailroom that takes them on a tour of holiday traditions around the world. Do you know what an assistant director actually does? What's a second AD and third AD? Well, next week I'll be talking with Catherine Hatam, who's been an AD and a producer, and she'll help explain what all these ADs mean. This is Jerry Williams. Thanks for listening. See you next week. For more Sister, including literally thousands, thousands of, of reviews, reviews, visit tvjerry.com.